Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Dead 
Well, hello there, Pilgrim. <laughs> Welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema Slow podcast. down there, Pilgrim. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Jimbo, and I'm joined by uh, these two knuckleheads. The village idiot Kyle. The village idiot. You would be the uh, wagon the driver. <laughs> Sweetheart! Uh, yeah. We will be t- talking it, about <laughs> the welcome to episode sixty-four. We'll be talking about Stagecoach, one of John Wayne's uh, films. Uh, this is number sixty-three uh, on the top one hundred movies. It's from nineteen thirty-nine. So, uh, Terrence, what is John Wayne's best movie? I like this one a lot, uh, mostly because uh, this one. The first time I watched it was in a film class uh, in high school, and then I watched it again in another film class in college, um, and then I've watched it a couple times myself. This is the movie that put John Wayne on the map. Um, So I think it's interesting to see this as a starting point of where he's sort of the Western hero versus like the end of his career and doing Westerns where he's more portrayed as the villain. But you do know something that Kyle thought that this was like John Wayne's first Movie. Oh yeah. But yeah. So he's been technically. In a bunch of this is his 80th movie, which is yeah. insane. 80th yeah. already. But, but this is the one that put him on the road to stardom. Right. Uh, but so 80 this came movies out, already at this point. And then he became main role potential for other movies. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I would say I'm. Well, actually, I'm, personally, I'm not a big John Wayne fan as an actor, and certainly as a person, personally. Yeah. But um, my probably favorite John Wayne movie, probably True Grit, the original. That was a really great yeah. film. I really love that film a whole lot. And uh, have to cover that. Mine was probably uh, Alamo. Okay. Alamo, Hondo. also a great was a great movie, too. Rio Bravo, also maybe a good choice. Something like that. Sounds uh, like Katie. You want to just keep going? Because <laughs> I'm not just a, the whole list I'm not a John Wayne fan. First uh, the a handful. My grandpa... Biggest John Wayne fan you ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't. If it was on TV and it was John Wayne, you don't touch the TV. You don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's John Wayne. And I'd, I'd say, well, you know, Papa, I don't really like John Wayne. He'd be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> out <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so, Terrence, let's go ahead and take it away. All right. Stagecoach, 1939. This came out March 3rd, 1939. Uh, this movie's only an hour and 36 minutes long, so it's easy movie to squeeze in uh, right before you record a podcast. This movie was not rated. Is <laughs> 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 from experience there? <laughs> Uh, this movie was not rated, but I'd put I'd put it at a probably a PG. Probably, to be yeah, honest. PG. Like, there's not, not, it's like thirteen. It's like you put so in once again a soft you, oh, PG. It's, it's like for the most basic reasons <laughs> you put in a thirteen. Like people do reasons. die, I guess. So I guess yeah. thirteen. <laughs> there's like a little blood, so yeah, PG thirteen. I guess, but uh, even then, it's like not really. <laughs> yeah. The budget for this movie was. $392,000, and I actually couldn't find what this movie made, uh, I believe just because it's on the older end of the spectrum, being made in 1939, uh, I, I couldn't find any numbers for it. Yeah, but it's a Criterion Collection film, so presumably it's been making money for decades. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have some unfathomable many, number many at this point releases. in this lifetime. <laughs> uh, this was directed and produced by John Ford, uh, writer credit goes to Ernest Haycox, uh, who wrote the original story. Uh, and then the screenplay was written by Doodley Nicholas. Uh, this was, and then also uncredited writing goes to uh, Gennard uh, Cabrona. Did you say a dude named Nicholas? That's what I heard. No, Doodley Nicholas. Doodley Nicholas. I heard a dude named Nicholas, and I was just like, "Wait a minute, dude named Nicholas." This dude, Nicholas, wrote the script. Doodley Nichols. Doodley do right. 
Uh, the director of photography, uh, Bert Glennon. Editor, we have uh, Otto Lovering. We have Dorothy Spencer and Walter Reynolds, who was uncredited for editing this film. Uh, this was distributed by United Artists, uh, a distribution company that got yeah, ate up a long time ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> film, or, uh, now we're looking at the film technical specs. So now we're looking at uh, sound mix, mono, uh, Western Electric, uh, more graphic recording. This was black and white. So we're back to some black and white movies. Um, you know, there's I just something that. about a black and white movie that's just, I kind of like it better. It's calming in a weird way. I don't know. Yeah, you know what I mean? I, mean? It's, I guess it depends. Like, I think black and white goes really well with Western movies. Um, and I understand some of the uh, the choices to go black and white instead of color, even nowadays when filming a Western. Um, there are a couple other movies where uh, I think the artistic choice to go black and white uh, is a good choice. But I wouldn't say all movies belong in black and but white. But, I mean, even yeah. like Our Last Man North by Northwest has been fantastic in black and white, I think. That's true. Wouldn't look, yeah, it wouldn't look just as good, if not yeah. possibly even better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I remember, like, most modern movie I remember, like, I, I specifically made a choice to watch in black and white was Mad Max Free Road. And I watched that in black and white, and that is just an amazing really? film in black and white. Absolutely. You know what? When I was young, I had a black and white TV, so everything I saw was in black and white. So there you go. So yeah. here, here's one movie that I thought was an interesting choice. And I'm like, I wonder, I, I haven't watched it, and I've been meaning to just to see if it would be a better experience watching it. But uh, remember, they came out with Logan, the black and white version. It was a whole different release. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, uh, you know what? Let me check it out to see if it changes anything. And I think maybe in, you know, movies like Mad Max where a lot of the colors are the same, you know, it's a well, very, like... Mad Max Fury Road simply had the teal and orange Yeah, it had a teal and orange, and not only that, that, but, like, a mm. lot of the colors in general were, you know, very, like, earthy colors. But it was a lot of, you know, browns and tans, and that was it. So to make mm-hmm. the choice to go with the black and white doesn't take away from much. Where, like, maybe if you have a movie that uh, relies on colors, more, you know, colorful, yeah. uh, it probably makes. Well, a I disagree, difference. because if you ever saw the Snyder Cut... Of Justice League in black and white. That's yeah. a fair point. It's and good. There's, and there's, it's good. But huh. there's also a lot of films that like you know greatly benefit from color. You know, specifically like movies from the '60s and '70s. Can you imagine yeah. King Kong versus Godzilla in in color? Or I mean, in black and white. That'd been really good too. Oh, in black and white, yeah, that'd be good. I, I, thought, I thought you were saying like it wasn't color. <laughs> I did at first. I was like, I was like listen, and I wonder why that awkward silence was like. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> Alternative history going on here. Mandela effect problem there now. I know, right? Yeah. All right, so uh, back to technical specs. Uh, we're at aspect ratio of 1.37 by 1. Uh, this was filmed with uh, camera Mitchell in C. Film length, we're looking at about 10 reels, which is 2,600 meters uh, of film. Uh, negative format, 35 millimeter, back to 35 millimeter. Cinematographic uh, process was spherical and then we have a printed format of 35 millimeter and then now for the awards <laughs> awards uh, <laughs> I almost said cast <laughs> <laughs> alright so Academy Awards USA 1940 it won an Oscar for best actor in a supporting role Thomas Mitchell uh, best music scoring uh, for Richard uh, Higman, uh, W. Frankly Harling, John uh, Leopold, and Leo Shurkin. Shurkin! They were nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Black and White, Best Art Direction, and Best Film Editing. 
then we have the Faroe Island Film Festival, 1939. They won the Golden Train Award for Best Screenplay, uh, Dudley Nichols. Nominated for Audience Award, Best Actor, John Wayne. Nominated for Golden Train Award, Best Film, John Ford. National, uh, it hit the National uh, Film Preservation Board, 1995. Uh, and then we have the National Board of Review, USA 1939. It won the NBR uh, for top 10 films of that time. And Best Acting, uh, Thomas Mitchell. Then on the last end of the spectrum of these awards, we have New York Film Critics Circle Awards, 1939. It won the NYFCC Award for Best Director, John Ford, and Online Film Television Association, 2011, winner, OFTA, Hall of Fame, Motion Picture. And interestingly enough, we saw mostly uh, the supporting actors in these awards, and not so much the lead role here. Yeah, perhaps a small knock. And now for the wah, wah, wah cast. <laughs> I hate you guys. <laughs> All right, going for the cast, which I'm excited about, if one else is. Squeak, squeak. And, um... <laughs> All right, we have the legendary John Wayne playing Ringo Kid. Um, John Wayne, of course, you recognize as a Western legend. Pretty much any any Western from forty years ago or more, it stars John Wayne. <laughs> um, so movies like Rio Bravo, True Grit, The Quiet Man, The Shootist, um, just overall like the list goes on. The list goes on. Did you on say forty on. years ago? I said any movie from any any Western from forty years ago or more. <laughs> It's going to be a lot longer than that. <laughs> I, this one's like, well, okay, so this is going to be the millennial in me. Going like 20 years ago, and I think the 80s and not 2020. So, that's just so me. In other words, this is uh, 1939 there, but I know. So, any from 60 years ago, more like any Western from 60 years ago, start John Wayne. Pretty much. Pretty much. But that, 30s, 40s, record. 50s, been in the 60s, and then. Dude's been around. <laughs> the Duke has been around. The Duke has been around. You're right. Okay, next up we have uh, Claire Trevor, who plays Dallas. You recognize from her from such films as Murder My Sweet, Key Largo, and Born to Kill. Next up we have John Carradine, who's playing Hatfield. Um, you'll recognize him from movies such as The Grapes of Wrath. He was also in The House of Dracula and The House of Frankenstein. And he was also in the horror movie The Howling. Next up, we have Andy Devine, who's playing Buck. You recognize him from movies such as The Over the Hill Gang, Island in the Sky, and Under the California Scar- Stars. Scar, Scar, <laughs> Under the California Stars. That's, that's, that's a much harder movie. That, that was the documentary on the plastic surgery. <laughs> Hollywood. I'm sorry. That, that, would be a that would be a really clever title. I won't like lie. Documentary. Well, well, that's two in a row. We got <laughs> we are the house of the roll guys. We should go to Hollywood. <laughs> Just to name movies. We get paid just to name movies. Yep. Yep. Next up, we have Thomas Copyright. That's how it works, right? You just say it. it. And it's copyright. We're going to put this podcast in a post suit, in a a, a piece of mail, and mail it to ourselves. We're fine. (laughs) Notarized. Notarized. Okay. Next up, we have the Thomas Mitchell playing the drunk Dr. Boone. Um, you'll recognize him from some movies as Gone with the Wind, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and It's a Wonderful Life. Great movies. Yep. Then we have Lewis Platt, who plays Loosely. Lucy, not Loosely. <laughs> Lucy. That's a whole nother, whole nother movie. <laughs> that's a, who has a different movie altogether? 
And you might recognize her from movies such as Captain Caution, I Met My Love Again, and The Streets of Chance. Next up, we have Donald Meek, who played Peacock. Um, and we're going to go on with the actors here, because none of them didn't star in many more movies besides this one movie, Stagecoach. Then we have George Mancroft playing Marshall Curley. Tim Holt played the lieutenant. Burton Churchill played Gatewood. Tom Tyler played Luke Plummer. Yakima Knut played uh, and <laughs> Yakimi, Yakima Knut played the cavalry scout, and that is the cast of Stagecoach. <laughs> Very well done, Kyle. Very well done. I'm a legend at this. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like a legend at that. Like Terrence is a legend of mispronouncing names. <laughs> <laughs> now on to Jimbo's golden notes. The golden news. <laughs> We're making um, a brand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, Orson Welles. Uh, has put forth this film as a textbook example of filmmaking and said he had watched it more than 40 times in preparation for the making of Citizen Kane. Oh, wow. That I did not know. incredible. 40 times watch any film is actually immensely (laughs) impressive. (laughs) And then actually using that as a director, um, your response to make one of the greatest movies ever made. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, Yakuma Kanu explained how the stunt was accomplished where an Apache warrior attacking the stagecoach when he is shot falls off of his horse, and then gets dragged underneath the stagecoach. You have to run the horses fast so they'll run straight. If they run slow, they move around a lot. When you turn loose to go under the coach, you've got to bring your arms over your chest and stomach. You've got to hold your elbows close to your body, or that front axle will knock them off. After the stunt was completed, Canute ran to the director, John Ford, to make sure they got the stunt on film. Ford replied that even if they hadn't, I'll never shoot that again. But yeah, I mean, that was a really cool scene. Oh, yeah. Well, that is one big thing in this film is um, even for earlier, and this is, you know, pre-Citizen Kane. So uh, even pre-Citizen Kane, it still did a lot of really cool uh, shots, stunts, um, and other sort of uh, uh, film tricks and stuff like that. Even as something as simple as when they first introduce John Wayne... Uh, having the dolly having zoom that in. sort of that that dolly zoom in where like it kind of like uh, what do you call it um, unfocuses but then focuses back in mm-hmm. to to really insinuate like oh hey main characters here yeah uh, that that even that was a unique shot back mm-hmm. then so uh, th- this did a lot and you can tell that this in- had a lot of inspiration for Citizen Kane which pushed the boundaries of uh, special effects and, and filming. Asked why in the climatic chasing the Indians didn't simply just shoot the horses to stop the stagecoach, <laughs> director John Ford replied, "Because that would have been the end of the movie." Uh, in addition, he Apache, responded, "Shush." In, in addition, Apaches would have stolen the stagecoach horses rather than kill them because, in their culture, horses were valuable in calculating a warrior's worth. Um, James Ford, or sorry, John Ford, liked to bully the actors on the set, and this movie is no exception. At one point, he said to Andy Ryan, "You big tub of lard." I don't know why I'm using you in this picture. And Donna Devine replied, because Ward Bond can't drive six horses. <laughs> Likewise, he attacked Thomas Mitchell, who eventually retorted, just remember I saw your earlier film, Mary of Scotland, effectively humbling the director. <laughs> Worst of all was Ward's treatment of John White. He called him a big oaf and a dumb word I won't say. And <laughs> continually criticized his line delivery and manner of walking, even uh, how he washed his face on camera. Um, he was just trying to provoke people to stronger performances like Claire Trevor because how Ford grabbed the Duke by the chin and looked at uh, and shook him. Why are you moving your mouth so much, he asked. Don't you know that you don't act with your mouth in pictures, you act with your eyes. Wayne tolerated the uh, treatment, rough treatment and rose to the challenge, reaching a new plateau as an actor. Ford helped cement the impression that Wayne makes in the film by giving him plenty of expressive reaction shots throughout the picture. 
Uh, the hat that John Wayne wears was his own. He would wear it in many westerns during the next two decades before retiring it after Howard Hawks Rio Bravo in 1959 because it was simply falling apart. After that, the hat was displayed under glass in his home. Hmm. Classic. Local Navajo Indians played the Apaches. Uh, the film's production was a huge economic boost to the local impoverished population, giving jobs to hundreds of locals as extras and handymen. I do give this film credit for um, actually employing people of you know ethnicity and race so like actually having you know native americans play native americans actually having mexicans play mexicans uh because there's so many films where it's just white guys portraying these roles basically it's just in a blackface and the degree and it's been a double-edged sword in history because like yeah you do have this vision where like the you know the depictions of um you know separate races and not you know not generic white men it's usually a poor representation of them but that is true those are the only times they actually hire those (laughs) minorities in the first place i think improves their life it was nice that they were employing them but how they're portrayed in this film is definitely like early still early westerns where native americans are portrayed as you know you're damned if you do at the same time at the same time they do have good portrayals of uh uh, of native americans because you have sort of the now given it's still stereotypical but they one of the um uh guys that was sitting with the the generals i think Mm -hmm. um you know very stoic they're 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 seen as like very stoic warriors and uh well they also had that um was it the Mexican singer, the famous singer that was in there the song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll get to her in a little bit. But uh, I wonder how the Navajo Indians felt about, felt about playing Apache. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Is, that too. That, that's, um, you know, not to mention, there, there's, a, there's another scene where it sort of calls it out and then uses it as a play on words where um, uh, the, the same Native American... Uh, was one guy came in? He's like, "Oh, what's this? You know, savage doing here?" Which is obviously terrible. And then the other guy flips that around, and then you know, sort of take it contextualizes it differently. And he's like, uh, uh, "What was the line? I don't remember what the line was, but basically insinuating something different." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, about the parentage possibly. Yeah. yeah, a stunt known as Running W was. Used to cause the Indians' horses to fall during the sequence where they are chasing the stagecoach. Strong, thin wires were fixed to a metal post anchored to the ground, while the other ends of the wires were attached to an iron clamp that encircled the legs of each horse. A horse was then ridden at full gallop, and when a wire's maximum length was reached just when the rider was shot, the animal's legs would be jerked from beneath it, causing it to tumble violently and throw off the shot rider. A rider could anticipate the fall, but the horse could not, resulting in many horses either being killed outright or having to be destroyed because of broken limbs incurred during the falls. The use of the running W was eventually discontinued after many complaints for both inside and outside of the film industry. That's really sad. That is sad. <laughs> That's why I read that. And I was like, awful. Because you, you see that, you know, when they're going down there, you, just, you see the horse. Yeah, like, you were, well, we just went from awful to awful. <laughs> yeah, you just went from worse to worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah first yeah. terrible depictions of. Kyle's over here in tears. <laughs> like, like, you know, it's just it's sad deal. You go into original history of those kind of things, it's always going to yeah. be some. <laughs> People doing poor things. I didn't uh, see you get all choked up when we slaughtered a water buffalo in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> well, it's a water buffalo. That was <laughs> different. Uh, and, it, and it was actually sort of a cultural, uh, uh, ritualistic thing for them to do. Because remember, they, they didn't know. do it for the movie. Well, this they one, did. This is straight up just but for they, the movie. But they didn't do it in America either. So that's they didn't too. do it in America, and it wasn't as used as just a pure waste of but film. How many like, times did they shoot that thing, and how many horses died? Is another question. You know what I mean? I know. The answer, just, I don't want to know. I don't want to know the answer. I really don't. Uh, the film's <laughs> original negatives were either lost or destroyed. John Wayne had one positive print that he never that had never been through a projector gate. 
1970, he permitted it to be used to produce a new negative, and all result prints of the film seen today at film festivals and derived from the new negative as from this new negative. UCLA fully restored the film in 1996 from surviving elements and premiered it on cable's American uh, Movie Classics, otherwise known as AMC Network. The previously DVD releases by Warner Home Video did not contain the restored print, but rather a video print held in the Castle Hill Calden Trust Library. Um, let's see here. Uh, one second. Okay, we're back after that uh, exciting moment where we had to move some cars around so my son could go to work. So, <laughs> sorry about that. So, uh, Louise Platt, who played the very proper Mrs. Lucy Mallory, wasn't quite so prime off camera. Observing John Wayne on the set one day, Platt turned to Claire Trevor and said, I think he has the most beautiful buttocks I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, well, Duke. <laughs> Uh, John Ford declined to use John Wayne in any of his 1930s films, despite their close friendship telling Wayne to wait until he was ready as an actor. Ford successfully sought to use this film to make Wayne a big movie star. The early scene where Ringo stops the stagecoach for a ride and trolls his Winchester rifle while the camera zooms in on his face is the exclamation mark of that effort. Yep, pretty awesome. Is, like oh, I said yeah. earlier, this is, is really awesome. John it's, Wayne's, it's a pretty good shot. <laughs> John Wayne's 80th film, which is outstanding. Um, I've seen some earlier than that where he was like a football player and stuff. So yeah. Uh, one scene which required the stagecoach full of passengers to be floated across the river, technician deemed impossible to pull off. John Ford considered removing the scene from the script altogether. Yakuma Kuna, however, I won't say Hakuna Matata, but <laughs> uh, suggested trying to coach no hollowed out logs, which would increase buoyancy and thus off the, offset the weight of the fully loaded coach. In addition, an underwater cable was used to help pull the stagecoach. Knut's plan worked and the scene was retained for the film. Hmm. Uh, on there, in 1939, right? No Paved Road effects. through Monument ran through Monument Valley. This is why it hadn't been used as the movie location before Stagecoach. There wasn't a paved road until the 1950s. Harry Goulding, who ran a trading post there, had heard of that John Ford was planning a big budget western, so he traveled to Hollywood armed with over 100 photographs of Monument Valley and threatened to camp out on Ford's doorstep until the director saw him and the photographs. Ford saw him almost immediately. He was instantly sold on the location, particularly when he realized that his remoteness would free him from studio interference. Yeah. That's always a big thing. Hence why all the horse dies. Yeah. Uh, uh, basically, the Westerns had fallen out of favor with the coming of sound, and it was a tricky to record on a location. Yeah, this movie brought Westerns back to the forefront, because Westerns had gone sort of to the wayside at this point in time and the or the they were in a slump yeah and yeah. not to mention it was sort of like samesies a lot of the westerns were following a Same-sies. formula <laughs> yeah <laughs> they, were, they were following a formula this one sort of broke up that formula created a new formula that we kind of know now in more modern westerns they bring it to the yeah, classic yeah, of the yeah. era basically exactly yeah uh, the interior sets all have visible ceilings that uh, that were filmed an unusual practice at the time for studio filming this was done to create a claustrophobic effect and complete counterpoint to the wide open expanse of Monument Valley, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, near the end of the movie, Luke Plummer is notified that the Ringo Kid is waiting for him. Just before Plummer is notified while playing poker, it's revealed that he has a pair of black aces and a pair of black eights. A poker hand with this pair of cards is the notorious dead man's hand, a hand supposed to have been held by Wild Bill Hickok just before he was murdered during a poker game. Hmm. John Ford loved the Monument Valley location so much that the actual stagecoach journey traverses the valley three times. John Wayne's salary was considerably less than all of his co-stars apart from John Carradine. Interesting. Thomas Mitchell had stopped drinking alcohol more than two years before he played the drunken Doc Boone. Uh, This is the only film John Ford was nominated for a Best Oscar and lost. 
Uh, this film made John Wayne the star nine years after the failure of The Big Trill in 1930. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yakuma Canute is the stuntman who doubles for John Wayne and leaps from the coach to the three-yoked-paired team of horses traveling at breakneck speeds. So not only was he the... Uh, the cavalry scout. Well, yeah, yeah the engineer too. No, yeah, but I mean, stuntman, engineer right. scout. Like he wore a lot of hats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. literally and physically. <laughs> uh, hosting Tussaud, uh local shaman, promised John Ford the exact kind of cloud formation he wanted. They duly appeared. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, in 1939, Claire Trevor was the biggest film star uh, and commanded the highest salary. Uh, this is ranked number nine of the American Film Institute's list of the ten greatest films in the genre Western in June 2008. Interesting. Andy Devine was borrowed from Universal. John Carradine was borrowed from 20th Century Fox. And John Wayne was borrowed from Republic. So this guy was just borrowing from everybody. <laughs> Why not? If you El- can do it, you'll do it. <laughs> Elvira Rios, who had an uncredited minor role as Chris Penn Martin's wife, Yakima, was a famous Mexican singer who was very popular in Latin America. At the time she appeared in this film, she had a weekly NBC radio program and a contract with Decca Records. The film grossed nearly $1 million uh, by the end of 1939, uh, earning the largest profits of any Walter Wagner uh, Wanger film production to that date. It is believed by many that the famous line, a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do, <laughs> widely attributed to a John Wayne Western character, is spoken by Wayne in this film. It's not. The Ringo Kid instead says, there are some things a man just can't run away from. This is his response when asked why he intends to stay and avenge his family's murders rather than try to escape to Mexico. Although John Wayne had minor roles in John Ford's Mother Mockery in 1927 and Salute in 1929, this film was the start of the real partnership between them. Uh, this film was originally budgeted at 392000 It cost over half a million to make. That's a very exclusive interest for that era. Yeah. <laughs> um, pictured on one of four 25-cent U.S. commemorative postage stamps issued in March 23, 1990, honoring classic films released in 1939. The stamps featured are Stagecoach, Blue Jest, The Wizard of Oz, and Gone with the Wind. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, the actual stagecoach used in the film resides in the Kernville, California Museum. That'd be cool to see. Where is that? that? California Museum? Kernville, K-E-R-N-V-I-L-L-E, hmm. California. Kernville. Oh, okay. Where's that at, Terrence? I have no idea. <laughs> No, just, it's on, it's just down the like, lane. Don't worry. I mean, California is big, so like, there's like the notable places. And then you hear small towns, you're like that, and you're like, hmm, I have no idea. Yeah, there's there, there's more than Los Angeles and Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> there's more than Los Angeles and San Francisco and California. Selected for the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress in 1995. Uh, this is the first of three films in which John Wayne and Claire Trevor were paired as a romantic team. Oh, so they were paired multiple times. Yeah, three. Uh, John Wayne's rifle in this movie was later used by Chuck Connors in the television series The Rifleman. The Rifleman. That's pretty cool. American classic. <laughs> this was selected by the Vatican in the art category of uh, its list of 45 great films. So even the Pope agrees. <laughs> uh, John Ford initially wanted Catherine Hepburn to play Dallas. He'd previously worked with her on Mary of Scotland in 1936 and he'd had an affair with her. Well, then. Scandalous. Yeah. Joel McCree and Earl Flynn turned on the role of the Ringo Kid. Earl Flynn would have been interesting, too. Um, included among the American Film Institute 1998 of the top 100 greatest movies. Uh, John Wayne, John Carradine, and Andy Vine were all uh, in the cast of John Ford's 1962 Western, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, the interior scenes of the coach were all shot in a studio, and the town sequences were shot on Hollywood backlots, which I always that thought the... Uh, 
the inside of the coach teams were always weird. Yeah. Like, he's like, don't drink in front of a lady. You know, he's like, eh. <laughs> and you got John Wayne sitting on the floor. You know, I mean, it was just. It's, it felt like a weird dream, like a fever dream. Almost. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it's bigger on the Let inside. Let me ask you a question. Well, let's park the, the stagecoach right here for a second. Why, <laughs> why were they always snobbish to the one girl? So... Sexism? <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, like, I mean, because they're, they're, no, both like girls. Women, oh, yeah, 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 the yeah, one was yeah. like trying so, to find her husband mm, that was in the war. Yeah, um, I, I believe it's just because. Uh, I mean, I didn't know if she was a lady of the night. You know, I didn't know if. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I believe that's sort of insinuated near the end, right? Um, when they're walking by, sort of that area. Yeah, and then she's, you know, she acknowledges some of the women there, and then she's all like, "See, I told you, you wanted nothing to do with me." And then, like, you know, obviously. Uh, Ringo's like I. Uh, how would he say he was like? Um, he's like I asked you to marry me, didn't I, <laughs> or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I believe that's why everybody sort of looked at her differently, particularly the women in the town that they left, uh, right. is because since she's the lady of the night, uh, that's also where their husbands tend to go and commit yeah. adultery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was uh, on the list of the one hundred. Uh, sorry, a thousand and one movies you must see before you die is also on Roger Ebert's great movies list. Screen Directors Playhouse broadcast a thirty-minute radio adaptation of uh, adaptation of this movie on January 9, nineteen forty-nine, with John Wayne and Clara Trevor reprising their film roles. Interesting. I wonder if they voice acted just as well as they acted. You know, sometimes it doesn't might, correlate. They at all. might. They might have got better. I mean, this was what ten years later. That's true. You'd hope. <laughs> uh, although Louis uh, Grunberg or Louis Grunberg received screen credit for the musical score, his contribution was not used, and his name was omitted from the Academy Award nomination. Ooh. Ah, well, sorry, sorry, Louis. Uh, the film's reputation suffered in later years as it was widely condemned as racist for its portrayal of the Native American oh, for sure. Indians. 100%. Completely valid. Yeah. yeah. At the start of the movie, the stagecoach pulls up in front of the Tonto Hotel. This could possibly be a reference to the Lone Ranger radio series, but it seems more likely that it refers to the Potawatomi Indian word meaning wild one. Mm. Ringo tells Dallas he has he was almost 17 when he went to prison. He is clearly in his late 20s now. Why did he wait so long to break out of prison to get his revenge? Given that he wouldn't be permitted to practice with his gun in prison, his reputation as a gunman must have been established no later than the age of 16. While not impossible... It's highly unlikely. Yeah. Uh, not to mention, it just seems like one of those things where, like, you watch older movies and they're like, I'm 20. And I'm like, you look 30. <laughs> Kyle. You know, cigarettes, they bring you down. <laughs> yes, me. Um, what I, do you think? Um, I think that um, John Ford is a legendary director and John Wayne is a legendary actor. And Western is a world amazing genre. That said, this film uh, largely kind of put me to sleep. For the most part, I, I, I'm totally honest. I thought the film was very good, very well made, kind of like. But I guess I was in the mood that particular day, maybe for something a little more visually appealing or actionville or something like that, more drama. But um, it's still a great film in its own right. But um, I'd say you have to be kind of in the mood to see an older film such as this, and uh, I recommend it for that. And if you're a Western fan, of course, you should go see it. But it's also I wouldn't put it as like the thousand and forty five or thousand and one movies you need to see before you die. I don't think it needs to be required viewing for the most part. I think it's just a it's a good film that you can appreciate for what it is, but it's not gonna you know, it's it's not gonna it's it it doesn't need to be necessarily influence films of today, in my opinion. So that's that's my opinion of the film. Terrence, how about you? So 
You're wrong. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> you just see Terrence's face like, you're wrong, because Terrence is the one that suggested this film. No, so here's the thing. I, I do understand the problems with this movie, and it's not sort of the these things itself that make me like the movie, obviously. Um, the depiction of people of color in this movie is not good at all. I mean, obviously, it's a poor depiction of both Native Americans and Hispanics. Uh that being said, uh, the, the reason why I believe this movie is held in high regard are for different reasons. Kind of like when we were going over Citizen Kane, it's not so much the story itself that it's regarded, it's regarded for other reasons. Uh, there were some very elaborate stunts uh, that were done, as we had talked about. Uh, there was a lot of different filming ta- uh, filming methods, uh, different shots that were done that obviously inspired something that really took practical effects to the next level. So it definitely did inspire future films. Also, as previously stated, this brought back Westerns. And so this made future Westerns possible to, you know, bring it to where we have today. You know, we we still see Westerns. And I I feel like this was a big stepping stone in bringing Westerns back to the forefront and bringing in a new formula. Uh, So I would say if, if you're a Western fan, definitely watch it if you like seeing things just for the historical value of like, hey, you know what? This is something, like I said, that brought back Westerns. D- definitely check it out. But do know as far as, uh, you know, how people are portrayed in it, it because of the time, it, this is one of those movies that don't age well at all. Uh, but other than that, there are that aside, there are likable characters. It is definitely a character driven film. If you're looking for sort of the uh, visually pleasing action, you kind of don't see it till the end. But mm. it's very it's there. It's there, very yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very <laughs> character interaction driven. So you get invested in the characters, their stories, what are they doing, why are they like they are, and that's pretty much where where the the interest comes in. So if you like that sort of plot driven movie, then you know this this will be a thing that's enjoyable. Uh, as far as I think that's pretty much all I have to say. It's I wouldn't I would say if you like film for historic reasons or if you like westerns, this is a watch for sure. If not, if you're just a casual movie goer, this one I think could be an easy pass. Uh, and obviously, you know, if, if you're a John Wayne fan, you've probably already seen this. So uh, that that goes without saying that you know, hey, if you like John Wayne, sure, watch yeah. it. But uh, other than that, it's. It's both a watch it and a pass. If if you're like I said, casual moviegoer, it, it it doesn't hold up. So as the final word goes, what does Jimbo think? <sighs> well, my grandpa's probably listening down from heaven about what I'm about to say. So <laughs> I have to choose my words very carefully. Held accountable from on high. <laughs> um, <sighs> I just really don't like western westerns at all. <laughs> I don't. No, it's, it's, um, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. To me, to me, there's a lot of problems with the Western genre. <laughs> no, no. Well, what I'm no, and it's not how they were portrayed because cowboys and Indians. It's been a thing for years, and there was there's there was a lot of bad things that the Indians did. There was a lot of bad things the cowboys did. So we could go on and argue about that all day long. To me, all the westerns are the same. Guy mm. rolls into town. Somebody has a beef with the guy. Gunfight or Indians attack. You know, it's just. It's not my cup of tea. Um, that being said, this was a black and white movie, and I enjoy the black and white. I like the shading, uh, the uh, 
uh, like when they roll into the one town and the lady singing at night and the, you know yeah, the, the yeah. shadows on it. I, I do like it, it for that atmosphere. Yeah. I like yeah, sure. I do like the Indians attacking the stagecoach. I thought that was really well done with the stunts they were doing. Sad to say that some of the horses died from that. Um, That's terrible. And now that which I, know I didn't that, know that, that, that makes me look at this right. movie completely so, differently. Especially if I ever go back to watch this, I'm going to see if I can catch that. You know, yeah. Did that horse die? Oh, did that horse die? You know, maybe you can mm. pay attention to their legs because I don't remember. Seeing a lot of them from the the legs down, you always see them at you know the yeah, top yeah. of falling off. But you see it just stop real quick, yeah. you know. And I'm like, man, that horse. You're missing get... the event rise like... level injuries they're suffering. <laughs> I was like, I was like, man, that horse went down pretty hard, you know. I was like, right. it looks real. But then you come to find out it is. But with that being said, I can't take nothing away from John Wayne. He's one of the greatest actors to ever play in a western role. Um, I mean, he's done what over 140 movies, or 160 movies, I think I right saw. Around there, yeah. Just... I mean, just. I'd hate to see what his net worth was because he was probably a rich man. Um, <laughs> he's known as the Duke for a reason. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about him. Uh, and I don't want my grandpa to think anything bad about me. Uh, so uh, that's uh, to me, if you like Westerns, you like John Wayne, watch it. If you care less about Westerns, don't watch it. <laughs> I mean, that's the gist of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like you. you you already know in your heart if this is in your wheelhouse. You, you, if you're a Western fan, you've seen other movies because you weren't born when this movie came out. You've probably, so, you've <laughs> probably already seen this movie anyway. Yeah, I'm sure like, it's played on AMC or. You're familiar enough with the genre that you know or not this one's for you or not because this is this is pure Western and straight for better Western. and for worse. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, there's my take. Uh, watch it if you want to, or leave it alone if you want to. It, it, it doesn't affect me the way I probably won't revisit this for it, boys and girls. maybe ever. Yeah, maybe just to see if any of the horses died, if I can find them. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But other than that, that's what that's my take on it. So, well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close. Um, and our next episode, yeah, I got it next right this episode time. coming up. <laughs> it what is, is it, Jimbo? the Deer Hunter. And boy, you thought a Western was bad. I, I had no idea what I was coming into on this movie. And it was completely <laughs> something totally different because none of us had seen it before. But hey, it was in the top 100, so we wanted to make sure we watched it. And can't wait for you guys to hear that episode. So uh, this episode's coming to a close, and that's wrap. And you guys... And, and cut. cut.